to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We come to church, we worship, most of the time we hear a sermon. How many of you have discovered that, depending on the topic, sometimes you like the sermon better than others? Right? I mean, we all have certain sermons that we like to listen to, whether it's our favorite topic, you know, if we like eschatology, which is the fancy spiritual world for end-time events, we like to hear about end-time events. If we love worship, we love to hear sermons about worship. We love prayer, you know, whatever your favorite topic might be, or if there's an area of your life you feel like you've really got it under control, you like to hear sermons about that area because like, I got that down, I'm feeling good. And of course, just in general, we love an encouraging word. Brother Lynn did a great job bringing an encouraging word last week. And if you weren't here, you might want to go back and watch that, listen to that online. Just a a great encouraging word that the Lord is my shepherd and he's looking out for us. And I love preaching encouraging words, but they're not all that way, are they? There's also sermons that maybe we don't like so well. What type sermons are those? Usually, it's sermons about an area that we're struggling with, and it's like, I don't want to hear about this again, (laughs) you know? Maybe it's something that we can't get victory over. Maybe it's something we know we should be doing, and we're not doing it, whatever it might be. But, you know, if we were to take a poll, and we would list a whole different bunch of different topics and, and whatever about sermons, and which is your least favorite, this may not be true for you, but I have a feeling that one of the topics that would come at the top of the list for least favorite topics to be preached about, to hear somebody preach about, is giving. Today's the day. Thank you for laughing and not saying, oh my, I should have skipped today. Now, if you are new to our church or you haven't been here very much, you say, oh, great, it comes to church. And he must be one of those pre- preachers that always talks about give, 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 and you got to do this. You know, I'll be honest with you. In my opinion, it's something i got to wrestle with. I don't think I preach on giving enough. This is the first sermon, I think, in about three years that has been totally and completely dedicated to the topic of giving. We've been working our way through a sermon series called Experiencing Financial Freedom, by managing your finances God's way. And I've already preached three messages in that series, and they mentioned giving along the way, but it was primarily about how God wants to use your finances to bring you to a place of security, although your ultimate security is in Him, not your finances, and to a place where your needs are met, and how He has great wisdom on how you can see that happen and how you can do well with your finances. In general, there's always circumstances that cause bumps in the road, problems and that kind of stuff. So we've spent three Sundays talking about that. And again, if you miss those, you can go back and watch or listen to those online. But can I tell you that one of the most important aspects of God's plan for our finances involves our giving. And I would be remiss if I didn't take some time to talk about that. It's interesting, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that money and possessions is one of the things that Jesus talked about the most. 
In fact, Jesus talked about money and possessions more than faith, more than heaven, more than hell, more than prayer. 16 of his 36 parables is about money and possessions. Why is that? Because money and possessions is, are so significantly important to us as people, is so grounded in our life and the way we live it that affects every other area of life and every other area of our spirituality. In fact, how we handle money and possessions reveals what's most important to us. I've said, I've heard other people say it, I didn't come up with it, that you can tell what's really important to someone by looking at their checkbook. This is back when people used to actually keep checkbooks. But looking at people's finances and how they spend their time. The two main areas where you can tell what's most important to someone. But how we handle our money and possessions reveals what's most important to us. It can also reveal how committed we are to God and how much we really trust God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where you put your money, that's where your heart is. It reveals it. It reveals it. So we're going to go forward in this series today. We'll be wrapping it up next week. Um, Next week, we'll talk about how you can be wise with what God has given to you and experience the blessings that come from that. But today, we're going to talk about God's giving plan. God's giving plan. And we're going to look at Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to be reading from verses 6 to 12. And the background to this, Malachi, as I mentioned earlier, is the last prophet that spoke for God before Jesus came 400 years later. Malachi spoke to God's people shortly, and by shortly I don't mean a couple days, couple months, couple years, but within decades of God's people coming back from exile. Without going into all the history of God's people, let me just say that they were people. And even though God had a special relationship with them, and he says, if you will be my people and you will follow me, I'm going to bless you tremendously. They still messed up. They still went the wrong way so many times and still deliberately turned their backs on God. And throughout their hundreds and hundreds of years history, God would have to discipline them like a good father. And he did it in a number of ways, but it got so bad, he allowed them to be captured and taken to another country to be in captivity for 70 years. They called out to him. He sent them back home. But once they got back home, that initial excitement and fervor for God delivered us, he brought us back home, it died down and they began to drift into bad habits again. They began to uh, drift into their favorite sins. They began to not put God first anymore. And so Malachi brought a message about a number of areas where God's people needed to get their acts together. And we're going to be looking at one of those particular areas today. We find that the situation is that the people are home from captivity, but they are struggling. They're struggling financially. For them, their finances were their crops, their herds. Their crops were failing. They weren't doing very well. Their herds were not doing well. There were insects that were devouring their crops. And they couldn't figure out why. And God says, I'm going to tell you why. So we pick it up there in Malachi 3, starting in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Children of Jacob, that's the Israelites. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He's the ancestor of all the Jewish people. And what he's saying is, it's a good thing for you guys that I am faithful and I don't change my mind because otherwise you guys be toast. 
That's just my paraphrase of what he's saying here. He says, you keep turning your back on me, but I still love you, so I don't give up on you. Verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. He says, listen, just get your act together. Recommit your lives to me. Do what I've called you to do, and I'm going to pour out blessings on you. It goes on in that same verse, and it says, but you say, how shall we return? Basically, they're saying, well, what have we done wrong? Verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. In the Old Testament, for God's Old Testament people, he had standards for them, and he said, one of those are that I've given you everything. I've given you the land. I'm the one that blesses you with rain. I help your crops to flourish. I help your herds to flourish. And what I ask back from you is a tithe. And a tithe is 10%. So you got a herd of goats. When it's time to pay your tithe, you give one out of 10 to God. When you harvest your fields, I don't know exactly how they did it, but they would bring in the harvest, and they would weigh it out or measure it out, and the first tenth, it was always the first, would go to God. Now, people say, tithing, tithing, that's a, I have heard that, that's an Old Testament principle, it's very firm in the Old Testament, God expects, does God expect people today to tithe? That's one of the things we're going to deal with before we get to the end, but don't get hung up on that, okay? Don't get hung up on that. But this is what God expected of his people in the Old Testament, what he expected of his children, what he expected of the Israelites. They had not been paying their tithes. Verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. He's talking about the temple. That's where they were to bring the tithes. The temple was their place of worship. That is where ministry took place. That is where the priests and the Levites were. That's where they offered the sacrifices, which we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore. That's where the Levites served and were housed and were, 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 were supported. And the Levites were some of the ones that God would use to teach and train the people on how better to serve God and all. So it's the place where ministry took place, the storehouse, the, the temple. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. This is the only place in the Bible where God encourages his people to test him. Usually it's wrong to test God because people usually do it with the attitude like, well, God, you better prove yourself to me. And that's not the attitude we should have with this either, but this is the only place where God says, hey, it's okay, go ahead, test me in this. Do it. See if I don't come through. Lost my place. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We see that idea of open the windows of heaven for us, that's poetic. We sing a song about open up the windows, open up the heavens, you know, the presence of God, things coming. For them, is a lot more practical. The windows of heaven is where the rain came from. They desperately needed rain. And that's what God was saying. You, 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 you put me to test. You do what I called you to do. I'm going to pour out the rain. Your crops are going to flourish. Your herds are going to flourish. You're going to do great. going to give you a great blessing. I will pour down a blessing for you until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field will not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. 
Then all the nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. You see, that was always God's intention. He, he loved his people, but he also loved the rest of the world. And the very reason why he chose Abraham and all his descendants, and we mentioned Jacob, to be his people was so that they could have such an intimate relationship with him, serve him faithfully, and he would so bless them that all the rest of the nations around them would look and say, we want to serve that God. But unfortunately, they failed so many times and brought disgrace to God's name. And there's a similarity to us as a church is that people should see Jesus in us and want what we have too. So here God lays it out for them. We find that they had been disobedient and because they were disobedient, God basically just lifted his hand to blessing. And it caused them all kinds of problems. They probably said, well, I can't tithe because things are so bad. And he says, well, you know what? You got it backwards. Things are so bad because you're not tithing. And the only way to get it right is to start doing what you're supposed to do. And he says, if you do, I'll give you a blessing, an overwhelming blessing. I will not only pour out, but I'll hold back the forces that are causing problems for you. Now, God didn't promise them, just like he doesn't promise us, a perfect life. But he says, I will bless you. Now, please understand, God wasn't upset because they'd broken some kind of contract with him. Okay? He was upset because their hearts had changed. They had drifted in their relationship with him, and it was manifested in a number of ways. If you read the whole book of Malachi, it was manifested in the way that they were not treating their spouses right. It was manifested in the way that the religious leaders were not doing what they were supposed to do. And it was manifested in the way that they were handling their finances. And they were holding back what they were supposed to give back to God. And God knew that if they got this area of life straightened out, that that would help them out. Now, I want to use this passage to talk about what purpose does giving serve? Notice I said giving, not just tithing. I said earlier, does tithing apply to Christians today? We'll deal with that before we get done. But the point is, is whether or not you believe tithing applies to Christians today, the Bible is full, including and especially the New Testament, is full of the fact that God's people are supposed to be givers. This is a general principle, giving of themselves, giving of their time, giving of their energy, giving of the gifts and talents that God has given them to be used for God's kingdom. And it also includes giving of their money. And they're to be generous givers. So putting the whole thing of tithing aside about whether it's supposed to be an exact 10% or some other figure or whatever, let's just talk about what is the purpose of giving. What purpose does giving serve? Why, in this case, did God insist that his people give back to him 10% of the increase of the crops, of the herds? Why? Is it because God needed it? Did God need their goats? You know, was he wanting to stock them up so when we all get to heaven and we have that great feast, we can have curry goat? You know, did he need their money? Did he need their crops? No. It's not because God needed it. It's because he knew what it would do in his people. So, real quickly, what are some of the purposes that giving serves? First of all, giving teaches me to honor God as the owner of everything. Giving teaches me to honor God, not recognize. We may say, yeah, I know God owns everything, and we can recognize that without honoring him for it. 
Giving teaches me to honor God as the owner of everything. God owns everything. It's all through his scriptures. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. God not only owns everything, including everything that we have, he owns us. We may not recognize that, we may not want to admit it, but he owns us, he created us. And so when we give back, whatever form that takes, when we give back, back. We give to God's work. We give to what he calls us to give to. It teaches us to honor him as the owner of everything. It's a recognition of God's goodness in giving what we have. I want you to kind of imagine how the Israelites may have approached this and the attitude that they may have had. And there could be a whole spectrum of attitudes, but you might want to have on one end of the spectrum, Israelites to say, I have to give 10% back to God. Whereas on the other side of the spectrum, you might have somebody who would say, you know what, God has given me so much and I get to keep 90% to meet my needs and to do what I need to do. And I would say we could compare our own attitudes toward giving to that. Whatever you believe about giving, whatever you believe God's word says about giving, how do you feel? What is your attitude? Well, I've got to give something back to God. Or he wants me to give more than I really want to for whatever reason? Or is it God has blessed me with so much and I get to use the great majority of it for my needs and my family and even to enjoy it? Uh, here's something to look forward to. Next week we're going to talk about how God wants, to use, wants, to, wants us to use what he's blessed us with to enjoy life. But it's only one part of it. But he wants us to enjoy life. We'll talk about that next week. What is our attitude toward giving? As we follow through with God, what God tells us, it teaches us to honor God as the owner of everything. It's an expression of that, of that gratitude. Many people might would respond and say, but you know, you say God owns everything, but I worked for it. That's true. You did. But who gave you the opportunity? Who gave you the intelligence? Who gave you the wisdom? Who gave you the strength? Who keeps you going from day to day to day? It's God. Ultimately, God still gave it. The second thing is giving teaches me to put God first. Giving teaches me to put God first. Now, this is totally apart from giving every area of life. God calls us to put him first in every area of life. He gave his son Jesus to die on the cross that our sins could be forgiven. And it's a free gift but it should result in the full surrender and commitment of everything that we are and everything that we have to him. You know, he's called the Lord Jesus Christ for a reason. It's not just some honorific title. He is Lord. That means he's in control. If we're really serving him and really following him as we should, it's like, God, what do you want for this area of my life? God, what do you want in this area of my life? God, what do you want for this area? How do you want me to treat my wife? Lord, how do you want me to, to interact with my husband? Lord, how should I raise these kids you've given me without wanting to kill them sometimes? How, Lord, can I honor my parents? Especially when, you know, all these areas say, God, you're Lord, you're Master, you're, I'm, I want to serve you, so, so, so what do I need to do? And that affects our giving too. Giving teaches me to put God first. I mentioned that God asked for them to give the first and the best. It's called the first fruits. 
In Proverbs 3, verses 9 to 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. He says, you bring it in, you get that tank. Give the first part, give the best part to God. Not waiting to see what's left over, but the first part, you give it to God. And that teaches us to put God first. And again, it wasn't so much about God getting their money, but getting their heart. I think uh, it was Martin Luther that said that a, a person needs to get saved three times. First in their head, then in their heart, and then in their wallet. It teaches me to put God first. As we quoted earlier in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If God is really first in every area of your life, it will show up in those areas of your life, including your finances. I mentioned a minute ago that we don't give God the leftovers. Who gets the leftovers in your house? Quick fun poll. I've heard that there are people who don't like to eat leftovers for no reason at all. It's like, I'm going to eat the food as it's prepared, forget the leftovers. How many of you are like that? It's not a bad thing. I'm not trying to shame you. Any of you out there, some of you are like, I don't like leftovers. I just want to eat it as prepared. I see a couple of hands. Some of you are afraid that somebody's going to shame you. That's okay. That's all right. But let me ask you this. If you're going to have a guest coming over for dinner and it's somebody you really love, respect, whatever, are they going to come through your door and say, oh, I'm so glad you came. We invited you for dinner. Now, what are we going to have? Let me see what we got in the fridge and open it. Oh, here's a little bit of spaghetti from Tuesday night and here's a little bit of... No. Chances are we're not going to do that. But yet... We may give God the leftovers. It teaches us to put God first. I, have you ever seen that bumper sticker that says, Honk if you love Jesus? Yeah, I saw a bumper sticker one time. It says, um, Tithe if you love Jesus. Any fool can honk. Anyway. <laughs> Third thing, giving teaches me to trust God. How does it teach me to trust God? If he says, you give me the first... You know, these people are, 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 they're going into harvest time. And harvest time is so important because the weather can change. You go out to harvest your crops. You want to get it in. You want to get all the, I, I've done studied, but you know, the threshing and all that. You want to get it in to where you're going to store it before the rains come and all that kind of stuff. And there are times, there have been times even in America, the farm, farmers are very concerned about the weather because you can get part of a harvest in. All of a sudden you can have this storm come through and ruin the rest of it. And God told his people, you give me the first part. And they had to wonder, well, what if we give you the first part and then we can't harvest all of it because of bad weather or whatever? Or what if I give you the first tenth of the flocks and then this disease comes through and kills half my flocks? What's going to happen then? And God says, basically, trust me. You put me first, it shows you trust me and I'll take care of you. Again, it's not a guarantee that nothing bad will ever happen. It's just that God's going to take care of his people. If we trust him and giving and putting him first teaches me to trust God. It's an expression of faith. It's really symbolic, to be honest with you, but whenever I sit down to pay bills, I always make sure that the first one I pay, first thing I pay, is what we give to God. Would it be a sin if I paid a different bill first and then did that second? No. But symbolically, it's a way of putting him first. 
It's an evidence of faith. It's, it helps build our faith. Shows who and what we really trust in. And the fourth one is this. Giving teaches me to partner with God in his purposes. Giving teaches me to partner with God in his purposes. You see, God can do anything he wants, but most of what he does in this world, he does through his people. That's why I'm up here preaching today instead of God just kind of speaking through the speakers. That's why our worship team did such an awesome job leading you guys in worship rather than God just piping in some angelic choir, which would be awesome. I wish that would happen sometime, you know. That's why he tells us to go out and tell people around us, our neighbors, about Jesus. That's why so many of you are involved in so many different ministries, whether it's teaching or preaching or sharing or leading or fixing food or, you know, very simple things. You're involved in ministry because God uses his people and he does the same thing financially. I mentioned earlier when I was talking about giving and offering. God is our ultimate provider, but he does it through you. And if you aren't faithful, we got problems. Not because God's not faithful. So giving teaches me to partner with God and his purposes. It says in this passage, to bring it to the storehouse. For them, that was the temple. That was the place where all ministry was focused and where all ministry went out from. So that's where they had to bring it in. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I encourage you to go back and read that whole chapter later. Paul was working with the churches he had founded to raise up an offering to help some other churches that were in need because they were in a part of the world where there was a famine and this, that, and the other. And he introduces some giving principles, and that's where there is that principle perhaps you've heard. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. That's true with agriculture, but Paul was applying it to financial giving to God's purposes. But he wraps up that passage in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 and 11, by saying, God supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. I'm sorry, the God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He's talking about finances in this particular passage. He says, listen, if you sow generously, God will restore the seed that you sowed. It'll meet your needs. It'll provide for the needs of God's people. It'll do God's work. And you're going to be enriched to be even more generous in the future because you see, if God finds he can trust you with what he's given you now, he may choose very well and probably will to entrust you with more in the future because he knows you're going to handle it right. In Luke 16, verses 10 and 11, Jesus said this, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you've not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? We pause real quickly here to say, those of you that are going to be baptized, if you're not yet prepared, you need to do something to get ready, now would be the time to get ready to do that, okay? All right. So let's talk about God's plan for giving today. As I say, Christians, Bible scholars, they debate back and forth, is tithing for today or not? You know, is a Christian required to give 10% of their income? And then some people get a little worried, say, was that 10% of the gross or 10% of the net? Forget all that. Is tithing for today? Let me just say this. 
Wherever you fall in this situation, wherever you fall in what I'm supposed to do and with my finances for God, if you're a follower of Jesus, scriptural teaching makes it very clear that we are to be generous givers in every area of life, including our finances. And these same four purposes, we see them demonstrated in the tithe, but these same four purposes should be demonstrated in our giving. And I would ask you today, how does your giving to the kingdom of God, to the work of God, how does it demonstrate your honoring God as the owner of everything? How does it demonstrate that you put God first? How does it demonstrate that you really do trust God rather than your employer or your paycheck? How does it demonstrate that you want to partner with God for his purposes in reaching this world for Jesus? What does your giving say about those four things in your life? Now, again, there'd be many that would say, well, tithing isn't for Christians today because that was under the law, and we're not under the law anymore. And that's a whole wonderful, deep truth that is very, very true. We are not under the Old Testament Jewish Law. There is much of the law that was given to God's people as a nation that no longer applies to us. We don't make animal sacrifices anymore. It was all fulfilled in Jesus. And that's one of the areas where people wrestle back and forth. Which part of the law still applies to us and which part doesn't? But yet we would see that the law is still very beneficial and a lot of the law is still taught in the New Testament. So again, we've got to wrestle with what part of the law still applies, what part doesn't. And the New Testament makes it very clear in so many different ways. We don't have to offer animal sacrifices anymore. There's a number of other things we don't have to do anymore because they apply to the nation of Israel. However, the Bible says that we should obey and honor our parents. Don't you think we should still do that? The law says we shouldn't commit adultery. I think that's a pretty good one too that we should live by. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't steal. We shouldn't commit murder. There are aspects of God's law that are moral law that still apply today. And so, again, the question is, is tithing one of those things? Another fact that's very interesting is that tithing was something that God instituted before the law, from the very beginning with Abraham. Not only that, but we see in Jesus' own teaching that We are now under grace rather than the law, but we see that grace actually kind of holds us to a higher standard than the law. That whole part of the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you know, the law says you shouldn't commit adultery, but you know what? You've got to really deal with the root issue of lust. The Bible says you shouldn't murder. You know, you've got to deal with the root issue of anger. And then one last thought about that is that When Jesus was speaking with the religious leaders, they had a lot of um, confrontation. But there was one area where Jesus agreed with the religious leaders. He says, you know, you guys tithe. In fact, you tithe on stuff you don't even have to. You tithe on the little herbs you grow in your windowsill. And I commend you for that. Unfortunately, you totally miss out on justice and mercy and all the really important things. So I'm going to give you my opinion, and and, and I am very quick to try to tell you, this is what God's word says, and this is my opinion. Before I give you my opinion, I will tell you this, that you cannot find a verse in the New Testament that says Christians are supposed to tithe. So now, my opinion. You can hold a totally different opinion about this first part. My opinion 
is that Christians are not under the law of tithing to where they are required to pay an exact 10% of their income. Now, if you like that, you're not going to like the second part. Because in my opinion, my opinion is that that's not a legalistic thing for that, but that's just the foundation. We need to work at getting there as a foundation to go forward and be even more generous than that. You may say, wait a minute, what are you talking about? I can't even imagine giving 10%, much less giving beyond that. And can I tell you, as God speaks to your heart about this message and your own study of what God requires and asks of you with your giving, if he, if he lays it on your heart, you know what? That is right. That's what you need to do. It may take baby steps, but you need to start working on doing that. You need to get to where... The point is we all need to get to the point where we're obeying God in every area of our life, including our finances. Why is it that we resist? Why is it that we struggle with the idea of tithing or giving generously or even giving more than... Why do we resist? Real quick, because we've got to wrap this up. First of all, we don't want anybody to tell us what to do with what's ours. Problem is it's not ours, it's God's. If that's our attitude, we don't really fully understand and get that it really is God's. And he has every right to tell us what to do with ours. Second thing is we're afraid we won't have enough for what we need. That gets back to, are we going to trust God? God said, if you trust me and you do what I call you to do in giving, I'll meet your needs. I'll meet your needs. You know, can you imagine, let's say your employer made a mistake in your payroll deductions and you get to the end of the year and you discover that because of this mistake, somehow you've given $7,000 more in taxes than you were supposed to. And you find that out and you're all excited. And you communicate with the IRS, you file your return. They say, oh yeah, yeah, we recognize that so, but, but you know what, we need it more than you do. So we're just going to keep it. Sometimes that's kind of our attitude toward God. We're afraid, Here, here's the real reason, I'll be honest with you. We're afraid we won't have enough for what we want. We're afraid we won't have enough for what we want. If we give as generously as God calls us to. I love this quote. It says, some people have nothing to give when they're done spending precisely because they're never done spending. I would say, God asks us to put him to the test. He did to his Old Testament people. When you know what it is that God's told you to do, when God's told you to start tithing, you know, if you come and say, I gave my tithes, I put in $10 in the offering. Unless you only made $100 last week, you didn't give a tithe. You gave an offering. If that's what God tells you to do, if he tells you to do more than that, if he tells you whatever your generous giving is and following Jesus, God says, put me to the test. See if I don't bless you. Now, I'll just tell you that tithing and generous giving won't solve all your financial problems this week. If you got yourself into a mess, it's going to take a while to get out, even if you do the right thing. But God will help you. And you might say, well, I'll wait till I get out of the mess, and then I'll start doing it. Well, when do you want God's help? And keep in mind that the blessings he pours out are not just financial. It can be in health. It can be in any number of, of other things. Let me just say this, and then we're going to wrap this up because we want to get to the baptisms. God can do more with our 90% than we can do with 100%. You might say, I can't, I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to. And what would happen if something happened 
and you all of a sudden were making 10% less than what you're making now, would you all of a sudden just die? Say, no, but I'd really be worried. Maybe so. But you would plan, you would scrape, you would adjust your budget, you'd cut some things out, you'd figure it out. Why are we willing to do that for the things that we want, but we're not willing to do stuff like that to follow God and do what he wants us to do? This is one of those messages where you just get to the end and say, here's the truth. This is what God says. And I've tried to be very, very honest with you about this is what God's word says. This is what giving is supposed to do in and through our lives. This is my opinion about certain things. But then you've got to go to God and say, God, what is it that I'm supposed to do? And then you need to obey him. Because you see, on that day we stand before God. I don't have to give account for what you do with your finances. I have to give account for what I do with mine. But you do. I'm not saying your finances will get you out of heaven or keep you out of heaven because that's not how it works. We go to heaven because we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And the fact that he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And if you're here today and you think you're going to get to heaven because you do give well or because you pray, you read your Bible, you do this, that, and the other, that's not going to cut it. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. And I would love to talk to you about that after the service if that's you. But the Bible does say that we will be rewarded for what we do with what God's given us. It's a thing called stewardship. A steward is somebody who takes care of something for somebody else. We take care of what God has given us for him. And when we get there, we will either be rewarded for what we did do, or God says, okay, you can go to heaven, but I don't have any rewards for you because you just did everything for yourself. We'll talk more about that next week. Let's pray. Then we're going to rejoice for some people who are being baptized today. Jesus, we come to you right now. And Lord, I know, as I said at the beginning of this message, that this is one of those messages that maybe some people are like, I don't want to hear about it. I don't like to hear about giving. Lord, money and our use of it touches every area of our life. And God, I just pray that you take your word, straight your word, the way it was presented. I pray that you take the truths and the principles that we drew from your word about giving and its importance in our relationship with you and everything else that was said to speak to our hearts about what we're supposed to be doing with our finances in obedience to you and in joining with you to see your work done in the kingdom. And Father, help us to be obedient. If we're way off base, show us a path that can get us there. Help us to take that step of faith to get started, work our way to where we need to be. And God, I just pray... Well, I don't even pray it. I just thank you, Lord, that you will be faithful. As your people follow you in obedience to give, you're going to take care of their needs. You're going to bless them in many different ways. We'll still face difficulty, but Lord, you're going to be with us and you're going to help us. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 